Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be. Now, I'm very excited about this morning's message due to the content, because if you can lean in and listen this morning, God can change your entire life. And I can say this out of experience, and so can the Apostle Paul. Uh, We're looking at a message entitled, But God. It's the idea of God's intervention into our life. You see, this phrase, but God, is probably one of the most important phrases in the whole Bible. You don't just see it here in Ephesians 2, but you see it in other places as well. And there's always this contrast. It's always this, this contrast of we were going down a road, a path away from God, but God intervened and stepped in. Didn't he do this with Paul, who's writing the letter of Ephesians? Do you remember in Acts chapter 9, the story of Paul's conversion? Paul is on his way to a certain city. Does anyone know that city's name? Damascus, Damascus, right? Damascus, he's on his way and and he's there. He is headed there to imprison Christians and seeking to have their lives end. And on that road, but God intervened. And the Bible describes that a light shined and a voice from heaven was heard and And it was Jesus who said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And we know it was that day that his entire uh, life shifted and changed. He said, Isaiah, stop. He said, what do you want me to do? He, He said, God, where do you want me to go? And you see, I've had that experience as well. I've had a moment of but God. You see, for me, even though growing up in the church and knowing who God was, I walked away from God for my seventh, eighth, and ninth grade year, and I would have walked farther and farther from him but God. And we all need those moments, and we all need to understand that even for you, if you have always been with the Lord, maybe you grew up knowing about him and you haven't had this time of great rebellion against him, well, you have rebellion in your heart. And without Jesus, it will come out and consume you and take over your life. And so we all need to have this realization that without God's intervention, without him stepping in, we would be lost. And so today, I want to lay out some perspectives for you as we go into the message, okay? Uh, There is about 170 of us in this room today, which means out of that 170, Chances are there is a handful of you, if not more than a handful, because Jesus said uh, um, that broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go by it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. And so chances are there are some in this room that don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That if you were to die today, you would not be in heaven, but you would be in hell apart from him. And so I want you, if that's you today, I want you to lean in and listen because God's power of the, the, the power of the gospel that God would invite you today to have your life changed for your sins to be forgiven. Now, I would also think in a room this size, there are many believers, people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I want you to lean in and listen and rejoice with me as we read God's word of what God has done for us. You know, sometimes... When we get used to something, it can become common, right? Maybe at a time you lived in a small apartment with your family, 
but now you got to move into a, a house that's bigger and you get your own room. And after a while, you forget what that, those former days were like and you can lose appreciation. You can begin to look around the room and say, it's kind of small, but you forgot when you used to have to share a room with two other siblings. You see, you and I, our hearts are forgetful. And so hearing the gospel is good for us to remind ourselves that it might be the, the means that would motivate us to worship God. But I also, for believers in the house today, I want to use these 10 verses as a model for you to take, to share with those in your life that God would put in your path. You see, you are here not on the earth just to live, but to represent Jesus to those who don't have life in his name. But sometimes we have that desire to share Jesus with someone, but we don't have the tools necessary to do it. I believe Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10 is a great tool for you to use to walk someone through the gospel. And so I want you to have that mindset as well as we get into it. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're new to this, uh, basically this is our, um, has become our tradition here on Sunday mornings, not out of uh, because we're supposed to do it, but because we want to do it. We want to stand in, in respect for God's word and allow him to speak to us. And so we'll read God's word and then we'll break it down part by part that we might gain understanding. Sound good? All right, look with me in your Bibles. You're going to read in your own head and heart as I read out loud to you. And then we'll pray and ask for God's blessing. Verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would bless the message uh, this morning. We pray for lost souls in this, in this place, and we pray that you would save them, that you would transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And for those of us that know you, Lord, would we have a fresh perspective on the great things that you have done on our behalf that we might be motivated, fueled up, passionate, excited to share it with anyone that comes across our life. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. 
We're first today going to look at what you were. We're going to find this in the first three verses that we read. We're going to break this passage up, these 10 verses, into three different parts. And we're first going to look at the past. Now remember, he is writing to believers. If you look at verse 1, he says, And you he made alive. Meaning he is talking to what the Bible calls the regenerated. These are the born-again people of God that God intervened in their life. And so if you are not a child of God in here, this is present tense, not past tense. But for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we look back to what we were and what we would be without him. And we find this in verses one through three. You see, Paul takes a moment to first point out the past to make a point about the present. He, he wants to remind them of who they are without Jesus so, so that it doesn't become common. It doesn't become something that they forget about, but they remember who they were without him. And so here in these three verses, Paul gives them two descriptions of who they were and who they would be without Jesus. Number one, you can note down that we as a body of believers, as individual Christ followers before him, we were dead. We were dead. Now, of course, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. And how do we know this? Well, he says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead. Now, that's not physical, but spiritual. We know this because we, we look back to the first sin, when death entered the world. In the biblical view of death, it's not about an end, but it's about separation. So if you are taking notes, you, just wanna, you might want to note down that death equals separation. When the Bible talks about death, it's talking about separation, whether that's the, the spirit and soul from the body. So when you and I die, there's a separation that happens. But the other separation is from God. Uh, and, and we see this fulfilled ultimately when someone dies and their soul now and body is either together with Christ or they experience eternal death, which is an eternal separation from God. Now, when we look at Adam and Eve, when they ate of the fruit and they disobeyed God, God told them, and the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, right, of the tree, of the, the knowledge of good and evil, that you will surely die. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did they die immediately? No. They didn't die physically immediately, but something did happen immediately. They were spiritually cut off from God. That the open fellowship and, and communion that they had with God in the Garden of Eden was taken away. They were immediately separated from God. Remember, God had to say, Adam, where are you? Separation. And that ultimately was fulfilled when they were removed from the Garden of Eden. And so similarly for you and I, we are born separated from God. Now, at first that can seem unfair. Have you ever thought about, man, Adam and Eve really messed things up for us. But you and I would do the same thing. Let's say if humanity got all the way to you, you probably would have been the one to mess it up. You see, Adam and Eve, yes, disobeyed God, and it affects us. But we, when we are born, we are born separated from God, but we fulfill that separation. 
Meaning you and I have free will. Right now, if you wanted to raise your hand, you could do it. Why? Because you have free will given to you by God. Some of you, of course, raise your hand. Now, you have the choice to do what you want to do with your life. And we all have chosen to disobey and rebel against God. The Bible says that all have sinned against God and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, Adam and Eve were first, but we weren't too far after. And though we were born separated from God, we really fulfilled uh, that, that, uh, that separation. Now, the worst part of it, though, is that people that are separated from God don't know it. People that are spiritually dead don't know it. They are what the Bible describes as blind to that fact. They are in the dark about that understanding. Why? Well, because Satan has captivated them to do his will. 2 Timothy 2.26 describes anyone apart from Christ, including you and me, without him, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, what's kind of wild about this is that people who don't follow God think that they live how they want to, right? They say, no, I don't believe in God. I'm going to live my life how I want to. Now, what the Bible says is though they think that, they're actually under captivity by Satan himself, by the enemy of our souls, that, God, that Satan would say, you are living exactly how I want you to. You see, there's only two options. You are either living for the Lord or you are living for the devil. Sometimes we don't make that separation. We kind of have like different levels. If you're not living for the Lord, you are living the way that the devil would want you to. Why? Because he is described in scripture as the enemy of our soul. And so we are dead while we live. I shared an illustration with you just a couple of weeks ago regarding this reality of darkness and blindness for those who don't believe. And that's the, probably the scariest part about what unbelief does. You think you are free, but the Bible says that we are slaves to our sin. Those who live a life the way that they want, they in their mind think, I am free. I don't have any God. I don't have any Bible to tell me what to do. I live the way I want. But in reality, they're in a jail cell locked in slaves to their sin. You know, it'd be like, like I mentioned, and I just love this, this visual of, of seeing someone in prison who thought they were free. They look around their jail cell and look, I got a five by five cell. I got my toilet here. I got my bed there, my sink. I get five minutes out in the sun a day. I'm free. This is great. The food is good. Now us who are free, we look into them and say, dude, you don't know what you're missing. Like that ain't freedom. And I think we've all experienced talking to someone who is a slave to their sin and they think everything's good. Everything's dandy. But we who have experienced the freedom and joy in Jesus, we look back and say, dude, you are not free. You are captive uh, to uh, Satan's will. And so uh, this passage describes this kind of death that we live, that we lived according to the course of the world, according to the course of our flesh. Paul says this about the person who lives for themselves. He is talking about 
a, uh, a widow here who lives for themselves, but it's applicable to us all. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. This is how most people live their life. Yes, they're physically alive, but they're not experiencing life as it should be lived. And they're living for themselves, but they're dead spiritually. And for one who is born into the world, without the intervention of God in their life and the receiving of the gift of God, they are dead while they live. And one day when they do die, they will continue in the state of death. And so we were dead. This is what we were. Secondly, uh, we were by uh, nature children of wrath. The Bible does not describe every person as a child of God. The child of God, that title is reserved for those who get adopted. We had a camp not too long ago where the theme was adopted. Many of you attended. You see, we're not naturally born as a child of God. We are naturally a child of wrath. Meaning that we are born in a way that by the life that we begin to live, and we fulfill this, we walk in disobedience, we do, we sin. And so we begin to store up God's wrath or God's punishment. And this is something that a lot of people don't talk about. They talk about the love of God. But you see, the love of God is only great as we understand the wrath of God. God's love is so great, and we're about to get to it in verses four through seven, is only understood in light of his justice and his judgment. And you and I, without Jesus, are children of wrath. That's what we are going to get. Let me share a, a passage with you in Romans. Romans 2, 5 says, But in accordance with your hardness uh, and your impenitent heart, meaning unrepentant, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. When we are unrepentant, meaning we sin and we don't care, God says, don't do this, and we do it, and we say, whatever, I'm going to live the way I want. God says, with every sin, we are treasuring up for ourselves wrath. You guys see that word treasuring here in Romans 2, 5? The word means storing, that we begin to store up wrath. You see, God keeps an account because he is a good righteous and just judge. You see, sometimes we think of hell as just, as just a, a place where, where people apart from Christ go, and it's all the same. Like you go there and it ain't good. But did you know that there are, is actually greater punishments in hell? Just like heaven, there's gonna be greater rewards for those who live for Jesus. Because God is just, there will be differing degrees of his wrath being experienced. And that is, listen, a good thing. You see, for a judge who gets a case before him of someone who, who robbed someone, but didn't hurt them, there's a punishment for that person. But then for the person who, who robs someone and kills them, there is a greater punishment. And for the judge to give the same punishment to both people doesn't make sense. It's not good. It's not just. And so the Bible says that depending on the sin that you sin against God, you are, every sin is treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. This is what the Bible teaches. 
If you guys have been to Raging Waters before uh, or any kind of water park, then maybe you can have in mind those, uh, you know, those like giant buckets that fill up with water and then you stand under it and you wait and the water level increasingly rises and rises and rises and rises until it all dumps out. See, God's wrath is kind of like that. He's slow to anger. But with mankind, God's wrath is storing up individually and collectively. And there's a day that if you don't have Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you, listen, you will experience the wrath of God. And it is just. And it is good. And so when we were without Christ, we were set on a path for death and destruction, for judgment and justice. Without Christ, we would spend an eternity uh, in hell paying. And, and every moment that we would be in hell would be justifiable because of our sin against an eternal God. And you might say, wow, this is an encouraging message. It is for the believer. Because remember, this is what we were. In Jesus, this is no longer the case. That wrath that we were storing up has been dealt with. It was poured on Jesus on the cross. He drank the cup of our judgment. And so we need to understand that this is what we are saved from. This is what we are saved from. And yes, even today without Jesus, this is the case, but it doesn't have to be that way. Because though this is what we were, this is what we are now. And we find this in verses four through seven. For the believer, this is our present reality. Notice in verse four, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, this is the most important but in the Bible, okay? You and I were dead. He made us alive. You and I deserve death and the cross and eternity apart from God, but God. Everyone say, but God. You see, the dark picture that was left within the first three verses are met with divine intervention and interruption. You see, right now, God is seeking, if you are an unbeliever, to interrupt your life. Because as Jesus said, you're on the broad road. Many go by it. It's much easier. But God says, I want to transfer you onto the narrow road that leads to everlasting life. Because the road that you are now on leads to destruction. But God, just like Paul was met with that shining light and God stood in his way and said, you are mine and I am yours. And he began to work in Paul's life. God wants, that, wants to do that in your life. Notice here in verse four, God is described in two ways. I've told you before that whenever a description of God is given, stop and think about it. When the Bible says God is uh, uh, um, slow to anger, that's a description of something he is. Think about it. Because you, when you and I know God, there's nothing better for us to know. And here he's described, number one, he's rich in mercy and great in love. This was God's motivating factor for his intervention 
in our lives. It wasn't that God saw that you were so good. No, we know how it was, verses one through three. We were dead in sins, rebelling, disobedient. We did what we want when we wanted. And it has nothing to do with you and I and our goodness. It has to do with the mercy, that's God's compassion, and his love. That's his self-sacrifice towards us. He is rich in mercy. He doesn't run out. And he's great in love. And so it is in his mercy that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. What do you and I deserve? We deserve separation from God. The world will teach you different. The world that is under the sway of the wicked one will say you deserve everything. And the Bible says you deserve nothing but God stepped in and he had mercy on you. And because of his great love and his great grace, he not only said, I'm gonna suspend my judgment towards you and put it on Jesus, but he also said, I'm gonna give you life, that dead spirit that was in you. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna awaken you to life. I'm gonna resurrect you as Jesus resurrected from the grave. God says, I'm gonna begin to do that in your life that you thought you were living before, you didn't know what living was. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 describes this truth for us so well. This is actually what your parents have been learning in uh, the main sanctuary with Pastor Jack. He's been going through the book of Romans, and he's on the second half of Romans chapter 5. But here, it, it describes this so well. Look on the screen. It says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. He died for you and I who were ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. It's rare. His dying is rare. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. Look at that last verse in Romans. He he says, God demonstrated his love. You might ask today, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know? We understand God's great love, which is not a feeling. It is an action of self-sacrifice. That's what the Bible teaches us. And God says, I loved you because while you were still sinner, you didn't do anything to deserve it. But God says, I sent him to die for you. So awesome. I love how this next verse puts it very simply. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made in life. Very, very simply, in Adam, you are born into, because you come, we all come from Adam, right? He is our great, 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 I'm not about to say it all, grandfather. For as in Adam all die, we inherit and then walk in sep- separating ourselves from God because of our sin. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. This is what God does in the life of a believer. He makes us alive to the realities of God. It is an awesome thing. But notice here, he goes even further. Look at verse 6. It's not just that we're made alive, but verse 6 gives us more detail. You guys still have your Bibles open? All right, check out verse 6 with me. It says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, 
I don't know about you guys, but when I read a verse like that, I go, what? It just told us that Jesus made us, right, alive. He's raised us up, but then he said we're seated in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I'm not in heaven yet. I don't know if you think you're in heaven yet, but you are sorely mistaken. It's much better than this place. I like this room, but this is not heaven. I like this church. I like even California, besides the politics and the gas prices and things like that. But, but listen, but this is not heaven. But the Bible says that you are current. This is present. Remember, we're talking about what we are now. Verse six, look in your Bibles. Seated presently, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is being talked about here? Well, our physical position our physical bodies were on earth. Everyone's on earth here, right? Yes? No one denying that? Okay, if you are, then we can talk after service and you need some help. But our spiritual position, the Bible says, is in heaven. This is the idea when the Bible says that your citizenship is where? It is in heaven. In Christ, it's in heaven. And the logic kind of goes like this. Remember, last chapter in Ephesians chapter one, we talked a lot about what we have in Jesus. We use the term in him quite often. Where is Jesus physically present at this moment? It's kind of a trick question, but it's also not. Yeah. So the spirit of Christ is present with us and in us, but the physical body of Jesus is not in our hearts and he's not here now. His physical body that he still has, that has scars in his wrists and in his feet and in his side is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you and I are in Jesus and Jesus is in heaven, then spiritually speaking, you and I are in heaven, meaning that's our place. That is our home. It's talking about where we belong, where we are supposed to to be not only going, but even about this day. And let me put it to you this way. You know, when you leave your home on vacation, it doesn't cease to be your home. You're just not presently there. But you still say, I can't wait to go home. No one's gonna be like, well, you're not there right now, so is it really your home? You're like, yeah, it's my home. Like, that's where I live. I'm just not there right now. You and I are not home yet, but that's our place. Jesus says, I go and I prepare a place for you. And so in summary, through the riches of his mercy and the greatness of his love, God has made us alive. He's raised us up. Meaning when we die, Jesus said that though a man may die, if he believes in me, he shall live. And so even when our physical bodies die, Jesus says to us that just like he was raised from the dead, so our bodies will also be raised uh, one day. But look at verse 7. He kind of closes out this present section with a promise of the future. Verse 7 says that. What's all this for? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What are you and I going to be doing in eternity forever? The Bible does speak of it. The Bible does give us some hints and some different things. But this is what we're going to be doing. 
we are going to be experiencing the kindness of God. God says, I'm gonna give you some of my kindness and goodness and love and mercy now. But he says, I'm gonna need a lot more time. I'm kind of gonna need all of eternity for you to really experience all of my kindness towards you. God says, I have plans for you to experience so much more. And so he ends this section with the promise of the future. And so we were dead in sin by nature, children of wrath. We now are in Christ, alive in Jesus. We are positionally secured in heaven with the hope of everlasting life. But how did we get there? How does anyone go from that broad road to that narrow road? How does one go from death and separation from God to togetherness and salvation from God and with God? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Verses 8 through 10 answer that question beautifully for us of how we got there. And I hope by now you're beginning to see the progression of things. You see, I hope, my prayer is that after this message, and I would maybe encourage you to try it with uh, a sibling or maybe a parent, walk them through. This is how you give the gospel to someone. You start in verses one through three and you say, this is why you need Jesus because without him, you're dead. You've all sinned. We've all sinned against God, including myself. You don't exclude yourself. The only difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that they are saved by grace. There's no difference other than your sins are forgiven and theirs aren't. And so you tell them their great need for Jesus of what they are without him. And then you move into the section of, of this is who you can be. This is what God has done for you. Jesus died on the cross. He raised from the dead that you might have life everlasting. And then you move on to the details of how you get there. And we find this in verses 8 and 9 and 10. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of worse, lest anyone should boast. You know, as I mentioned before, we can often think about things that have become common and forget where we used to be, right? Like the apartment and the house illustration. And one of the tendencies for us as Christians can be we forget how good God's grace really is towards us. We can begin to think, yeah, like I was, I was bad without him, but, you know, pretty good now. And f we forget where we came from. And so Paul kind of drills it in here, reminding them about the grace of God. He says, for by grace, everyone say grace, grace. you have been saved. saved. <laughs> yes, good job. <laughs> Love it. For by grace, we have been saved, meaning that we didn't do nothing. We sing about grace. God talks about grace, but do we know what it means? It means to have unmerited and undeserved favor. It's a gift. Grace and gift, those words are very connected. God gives us this gift of grace. A gift by nature is something undeserved. You don't deserve a gift, you receive a gift. And imagine on Christmas morning getting the gift that you were hoping for, and then you tell your parents, mother, father, thank you for this gift. And you say, uh, in just a short time of six months, I will repay you every single penny. What do you think the response would be? Uh, no, it's okay. Yeah, they would be offended at the thought. They would be offended because why? It's a gift. They don't want you to pay for it. 
It's the idea of something undeserved and unmerited. They give it to you because they love you. And you see, God's gift towards us is not something that he wants us to pay back. We don't pay him back with good works. We don't. That's not how salvation works. Good works, yes, come out of it, but it is not for that. You see, if you did something to deserve a gift, it no longer is a gift. It becomes what you are owed, right? For example, if your dad goes to work for two weeks and works 80 hours within those two weeks, which is a 40-hour work week, and at the end of that two-week period of time, he gets a check. And that check he deposits and so that you can have food on your table and a place to sleep. Is that the company's gift to your dad? It is what he is owed for his work. You and I, and what God has given us, salvation, is not something we work for. He makes that very clear. He says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is not one person on the planet that has experienced the gift of God that can say they did something. It is all God, but God he was the one that intervened. And we're told how we receive it though, okay? If it's not by works, then what is it by? Well, it's by faith. You see that? We are saved by grace through faith. Faith, if you don't know what that means, biblical saving faith is belief plus trust. So if you are taking notes, you can put belief plus trust equals faith. It's not just an acknowledgement. There's a lot of people that can acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that he even lived a perfect life. But to trust him with your life, that's something different. You got a question, buddy? Equals faith. Belief plus trust equals faith. It's this idea that includes repentance and confession, that you say, God, I acknowledge that this is who I am without you, and I've sinned against you, but God, I want to follow you. It includes putting Jesus as the Lord of your life, no longer being your own. Here's a, here's a model I want you guys to understand and get. This is where a lot of people get mixed up because they mix up the proper order. Faith, then salvation, and from that salvation, good works. Some people put faith plus works equals salvation, and they got it all wrong. It's not the gospel. You and I did nothing. It's through faith and faith alone. That brings us to the ability, uh, not the ability, the gift that, that we are saved. And from that salvation comes good works. And Paul really drills this in and says he describes it as a gift. He says it's not of works. He says, this is from God. And this kind of brings us to the last verse of our section, verse 10. You see, when God brings us back to life through the gospel, we go back to what we were originally designed to do. When God created Adam and Eve, God created them to live for him. Yes, to work, right? They were to tend the garden. They were to multiply and fill the earth but they were designed to live for God and with God. And so when we are brought back to life, we're brought back to what God originally designed humans to do, which means that God has good works for us to walk in. Notice verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, workmanship. 
The idea of workmanship is masterpiece, meaning that God kind of had this whole plan from the beginning. You know, before God created anything, he knew that you would one day follow him. He knew he chose you from the foundation of the world, we're told. This was not something that he was unaware. And so the Bible says in Psalm 139, listen, everyone look at me. Before you lived one day of your life, God said, I knew every day that you would live. And on, not only that you would, he knows every day that you would live, but God says, I have prepared good works every day of your life for you to walk in. Look at what verse 10 says. He says, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before we ever were born, that we should walk in them. I love this. He has prepared good works for you. I would be curious of how many of you guys lay out your clothes the night before you come to church? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if you like, you like, no, I got to go based upon that mood of the morning, you know, and you, and you pick it out in the morning. Okay. A little more that way. Some of you are a little planner. Some of you are not. You see, it depends for me. There, there's sometimes I, most mornings I, I like to, you know, how am I feeling today? What's, what's happening? Uh, but there is one night of the week and it is Saturday night where I know I'm going to get up early Sunday morning and I got the message to think about and I don't want to be thinking about what I'm wearing. And so I try to pick it out, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I think I'm going to wear that shirt, those jeans. Okay. That, that's what it's going to be. And I like that because then I wake up in the morning and uh, shirt's ironed. It's right there. I don't have to, you know, it's, it's early. I can make myself coffee. I don't have to think about it. It's a step. That's, that I don't have to do. In a similar way, God says, I, God, prepared good works beforehand. That you wake up in the morning and you don't have to figure out, what am I going to do today? God says, I have these good works that I want you to walk in them. And I love this concept because it takes all the pressure off you and I. Sometimes we get very fumbled in our minds regarding the will of God. We say, oh, I don't know, what, what does God want? It doesn't have to be stressful. It's not supposed to be stressful. God says, I prepared them. It's the, the, the bulk of it is on God. Now, what is our job? Our job is to know what he wants. And so how do we do that? Well, Psalm 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Meaning that God gives orders. God gives steps, but I wonder how often we lack to ask him. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and before your, your feet hit the ground that you asked God, what do you want me to do today? That was the question that Paul asked on that road. He said, first of all, he said, who are you, Lord? Great question to ask. His second question in Acts 9 was what do you want me to do? Listen, if you want to live your life for God, ask that question in the morning. And I believe God will be very faithful to direct you. It is as we just do life with him that God says, I have prepared plans. And oftentimes I have found that we know what God wants us to do. We know those good works, but then fear comes in. Selfishness comes in. And that is where we 
live life with the Lord. We ask him for help throughout the day. It's not just a morning thing. It's not just a night thing, but it is this attitude of being connected with Jesus because of what he's done for us. And so this morning, if you are without Christ, you need to understand your present reality. You are on the broad road, easier to go. Many go by it, and it is, its end is destruction. And as much as you might be living for yourself and enjoying life, you are dead while you're living. And you have yet to experience the peace, fullness, and satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus. And the end is not good. But God would invite you to receive his free gift today by receiving Jesus as your Lord, King, he calls the shots, and Savior. And if you ask him for forgiveness, God says, I I will be faithful to not only forgive you, but to cleanse you. God will make you new. You'll be born again, a new creation. God will make you alive. And you don't even realize that you're not living. And so I want to challenge you guys, don't, don't resist his love any longer. Receive him. And you do that just by calling on his name. Now, for those with Christ, let's rejoice at this fact. You and I should never get tired of hearing what we heard today. We should get excited. It should bring us great joy. We, this should be the greatest motivation for us to worship the Lord as we think about what we have. Let us never forget. And with that, would that be the motivating factor to share it with everyone we come into contact with? We are his ambassadors, his representatives. We are his mouthpiece. And so what comes next? We're not just saved to be saved. We're saved to enjoy him, but now we're not home yet. Spiritually positioned in heaven, physically positioned on earth, and we are to be busy about God's business now. And you might have had the excuse that you don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to someone about Jesus. Yes, you do. Take them to Ephesians 2 and walk them through. Let's pray. God, we are just amazed at your goodness. Lord, if there's any part of our heart that has gotten tired of hearing the gospel message, first of all, would you forgive us? And second of all, would you put in us a zealousness for the truth of the gospel? That every time we hear it, Lord, may it just sink in a little bit more. May we understand what you've saved us from and what we are saved to. And Lord, would that just understanding and passion translate into our everyday life that we couldn't stop talking about you, that we would speak Jesus to every person we know. And Lord, for any in this room, that right now, they, they would have an uncertainty of that salvation. They might be on that broad road. We pray right now that you would draw them to yourself, that in the privacy and personalness of that secret place, their own heart and their own mind, that consciousness that you've given them, would they call out to you? Would they ask for forgiveness? Would you come into their life 
and change them forevermore. Would they call on the name of Jesus, the name above all names, and the name in which our salvation lies. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.